On the field, inside the clubhouse, and everything in between, this is Brewers Weekly. Here's Dominic Catronio. Good evening on a Wednesday night. Thanks for joining us on Brewers Weekly. I'm Dominic Catronio. It's official. There is baseball this month. February 25th. The countdown is on. Pitchers and catchers are reporting on the 16th. And then position players will report on the 21st. And then games will start on the 25th. Hope to see you down in Phoenix. I will be there as well. Uh, It will be warm, to say the least. And there's a lot of questions to answer. Now, for the next couple of weeks here on Brews Weekly, we're going to bounce around day to day. So we're on Wednesday here tonight. We'll be on Wednesday next week as well. We're kind of moving around based on the Bucks schedule. But then uh, it'll be very different come spring training time. So stay tuned. Social media, you can follow me at Dom underscore Catronio, D-O-M underscore C-O-T-R-O-N-E-O. I do want to start off today with a, a quick rundown. We have a guest, and I put this out earlier today. I have a, a segment coming up a little bit later on with a, a really smart baseball writer. His name's Tyler Kepner. He is the baseball columnist for the New York Times. And I have the full interview up and available to listen to or watch on YouTube. Listen to it on our feed here on WTMJ on Apple Podcasts, on the Brewers Extra Inning uh, folder as well. Really, really fun conversation with Tyler. He wrote two books, uh, two of my favorites as of late, The Grandest Stage, which is all about the World Series, and uh, K, A a History of Baseball in 10 Pitches. So I'll play a little bit of segment of that interview as well, and you can find that. It's available right now on uh, my YouTube page, Dom Brewers WTMJ, and on uh, the podcast feed. So you don't have to go very far to find it. Hope you enjoy about a 30-minute conversation with Tyler Kepner and talk about the trivia. More on that a little bit later on here in the show. Uh, Here in tonight's episode, we talk about the athletic article that graded teams off-seasons, and there's a lot of chatter on my Twitter about this, and a follow-up question that said, the Brewers didn't spend, so let's look at the dollars, let's look at the dollars and cents, and I put out a poll that I thought was some really surprising results as to Brewers fans understanding this team is trying to look to the future, and there's a balance to this, right? I know you want to spend money, I know you want to get better by throwing cash at it, but it doesn't necessarily always work like that. Talk a little bit of prospects as well, and a very big birthday today but not one that you may think of. So that's going to how we're going to end the show. But let's start with some breaking news here from MLB Network. And if you followed me on Twitter yesterday, I'm just as frustrated as you are that YouTube TV has dropped MLB Network. Uh, so infuriating, given YouTube TV literally was the main sponsor of the championship series for 2018 and 2019, and I believe the ALCS in 2020. So this is ridiculous. Get it together. I'm mad about this. Anyway, uh, MLB Network... They're doing their top 10 countdowns, and earlier in the offseason, we've seen Devin Williams rated as the number three reliever heading into the 2023 season. Willie Adamas rated as the number uh, seven, if I'm not mistaken, or was number number eight, I forget, eight or seven, I forget, uh, for top shortstops, and tonight was the starting pitching top 10. Corbin Burns is number one. How about it? And uh, that's certainly helpful for his arbitration hearing coming up whenever that comes around with the Brewers. Uh, I think, especially after that news, he's already a Cy Young Award winner. He's now the number one pitcher in baseball, according to the Shredder projections, sitting into 2023. Uh, the league knows all about him. He's got the best ERA since 2020, the second most strikeout since 2020. I, I don't see any scenario where the Brewers win their case, so they might as well settle 
sooner as opposed to later. I'm serious. I, I think it's gone on far too long. We're seeing settlements pop up now. And just being completely honest, what's taking so long? This needs to happen. Sign the man. I'm not saying to an extension. I'm saying, look, let's get the arbitration thing out of the way unless there are conversations about trying to extend him or say, hey, we're going to buy your final two years of arbitration here, set a guaranteed number for you, and go from there. That could be a possibility. But let's get it done. I think tonight is just a reminder that the Brewers have something special starting on opening day, and that's Corbin Burns. Incredible what he's been able to do the last two years, finding the cutter and figuring out what it can do for him. Uh, Here's the rest of the top 10 from MLB Network. Number 10 was Julio Urias. Number 9, Jacob deGrom. 8, Zach Wheeler. 7, Max Freed. 6, Shohei Otani. 5, Sandy Alcantara. 4, Max Scherzer. 3, Carlos Rodon. 2, Justin Verlander. And number 1, Corbin Burns. Oh, by the way, they listed as Brandon Woodruff as a just missed the top ten. A lot. I mean, Ron Darling made the point on the show tonight saying you could go twenty deep, even twenty five pitchers deep to make the top ten. You could have completely different top tens depending on who you pick. So notable guys that didn't make the top ten, right? So we mentioned Woodruff, but Zach Gallen didn't make the top ten. Dylan Cease didn't make the top ten. Garrett Cole didn't make the top ten. Luis Garcia with the Astros. It's stacked. I mean, starting pitching is where the money is, and that's where teams are building, and that's where the Brewers are built currently. So they have the number one pitcher according to the projections heading into the 2023 season. And a big thing to remind everybody about these top 10 countdowns on MLB Network is that it's all about heading into the season, projecting the 2023, not about their body of work to this point, because obviously that would look to be DeGrom and Scherzer and Verlander every year. It's about moving into who would you want to, you know, if you had a 1-1 draft pick, if you had a fantasy baseball draft coming up, and you had you had to take a starting pitcher, Corbin Burns is your guy. So really good news from him. I'd love to hear what you think about this, and throughout the show we're going to have some interaction coming up here tonight. 855-616-1620 is the Old National Bank talk and text line. Old National Bank, get old. 855-616-1620. One more time. 855-616-1620. 1620. So congratulations to Corbin Burns on being named the number one pitcher in starting pitcher in baseball heading into the 2023 season, according to MLB Network. Uh, let's talk about the rest of the offseason coming up next. We're just getting started on Brewers Weekly. Alrighty. So we got the Corbin Burns news out of the way. Big day, big news. Congratulations to him. I'm Dominic Catronio. Tommy Wirtz is our producer here tonight on Brewers Weekly. You're not a Cubs fan, are you, Tommy? Oh, no. Okay, because we've had, you know, normally we're on Thursdays. And Justin, not only is he a Cubs fan, he's a KU fan. And my sister went to K-State. So our, and plus Arizona State 2-0 and against KU in basketball. So hang with him, Justin. Yeah, KU's not looking great. Not looking great. Not looking great. Neither is ASU for that matter. But hey, could be worse. Um, well, thanks for being here and uh, enjoying the time here on Brewers Weekly. I'm ready for it to be warmer, ready for things to get back to normal with spring training. It's good to have a normal spring training on the way. And as we look, the offseason is officially winding down. Things are starting to settle, and it seems like trades and free agency is just about all finished up. So The Athletic, if you don't subscribe to The Athletic, I don't know what you're waiting for. I know, you know what, actually I do know what you're waiting for. The fact that the Brewers don't have a beat rider still. That's a fair critique, and I have talked to folks at The Athletic about it. No, I'm not going to do it, but there are reasons for it, and 
I hope it changes at some point this season. But we miss Will Salmon. You're the man, Will. Congrats on going back home. But anyway, the Athletic put out their grades for the off-seasons based on every team. You, you know, your classic school grades, A through F. And there were three teams that made an A, one team that made an F, another team that had a, a, a bad grade as well. So, Tommy, I want to play this exercise with you, and you can play along at home, 855-616-1620, 855-616-1620, the old National Bank talk and text line, old National Bank, get old. Tommy, did you see this ranking? Did you see this from The Athletic? I don't believe so, no. All right, so uh, three teams got an A, an A-, minus, I should say, for their offseason. Off the top of your head, do you, what do you think those teams are? The Mets. That's one of them. Houston? That's a good guess. They were a B plus, but no. Okay. Um, did the Yankees get an A? They were a B plus. Wow. All right. I'm nailing the B plus. Uh, Atlanta. Nope. Well, it wasn't the Brewers. I know that. It was much. not the Brewers. Uh, You're correct. Angels? No, they were close. So I'll, I'll spare you from the pain. The Philadelphia Phillies. Oh, uh, duh. Yeah. Getting Trey Turner, uh, among other things. And also the Texas Rangers for all the money they spent. Grom. Keeping Perez, uh, you know they, they've I mean, got a seems a little generous to yeah, them. They made some serious improvements. The Grom's a big deal. DeGrom's they big still deal. need a lot on the offensive side of things, uh, Ivaldi as well. But um, you know they're, they're not afraid to throw out some money. That's why they got the new ballpark to say, hey, we're we're for real. And I'm intrigued to see what the Rangers are going to do because they're still not even the third best team, and they're they're probably the third best team, maybe the fourth best team in their division. Astros still run the West. I put the Mariners second. I put the Angels ahead of the Rangers right now, personally. You can't trust the Los Angeles Angels, though. I know, but I want. I just want Shohei and Trout to get in, man. I almost, almost, stay with me here. I almost want the Angels to get in more than the Brewers to get in, just so we can shut up about Trout not only playing one postseason series. And I just want to see it happen. I want to see it. it I don't know if it's going to happen this year, but uh, Perry Manazian's got a really Really tall hill to climb coming up. Trying to figure out what he's going to do with Shohei Otani. Uh, I think Shohei's going to be a Dodger this time next year, unfortunately. But, I mean, shoot. Forget it. Mark, give him a blank check. Bring him here to Milwaukee. Could you imagine? <laughs> that, would, that would bankrupt Milwaukee. It would. Not just the Brewers, the entire city. Um, but let's talk about some of the bad grades here as well. The worst grades went to the Boston Red Sox. They got a C minus, which I think you could have got like a D plus. Personally, I think the only saving grace there was the extension to Xander Bogarts. Uh, then you've got, or excuse me, not Xander Bogarts, Rafael Devers. Can I guess who got the lowest grade? Yeah, Chicago White Sox. Bingo! They got the F. I'm pr- my brother's a White Sox guy. All right. Yep. They're not not great, and not for the reasons you know with the Mike Clevenger news coming out this past week, being under investigation for. Domestic violence, but they didn't do anything. They they literally didn't do anything. And they lost Jose Abreu. Their big free agency splash was Andrew Benintendi. And yeah, it was weird. The other team that also got a poor grade was the Colorado Rockies, which is kind of evergreen. Uh, they got a D, which is no surprise. They still don't even have an analytics department. So uh, the NL Central grades. The highest graded teams were the Chicago Cubs and the Pittsburgh Pirates. I'm fine with the Cubs. There would be there were, if I were grading this out. So here's the full NL Central list: Cubs and Pirates got a B. The and then each of the next three: the Reds, the Cardinals, and the Brewers were all rated C plus. I think 
there's a couple of ways you can go with this. Personally, here's what my ranking would have been. The Cubs get a B plus. They did exactly what we asked them to do. Spend like you're the Cubs. And they did. They went and got Dansby Swanson. They went and got Jameson Tyone. They went and got uh, Brad Boxberger here from the Brewers. But they've added. they got Cody Bellinger. They've got Trey Mancini. They have added to their team. Five of the nine starting lineup is brand new. That's what they were supposed to do in a rebuilding year. So I tip my cap to the Cubs for getting that done. I would have put St. Louis as a B, not as a C plus. I would put them as look. They got the best available catcher to replace a legend to replace Yadi Molina. So if you're going to replace a legend with the best available, that's the right thing to do. So I'll give them a B. The concern with them, of course, they didn't add to their starting pitching. A lot is hinging on Jordan Montgomery and Adam Wainwright and a healthy Jack Flaherty, if he's even healthy. Uh, yes, they still have Helsley at the back end of the bullpen. How are they going to get it to Helsley? They got Gallegos, but kind of like in the Brewer situation, how are they going to get it to the back end of the bullpen, which is so dominant? And I am still worried about their offense, especially in the outfield. Tyler O'Neill was not healthy at all last year. Is Dylan Carlson your center fielder? Is Lars Newtbar going to bounce back like you say he's going to bounce back the last three years? I'll believe it when I see it. So there's a lot of issues with me with the offense for the Cardinals. Then I have the Brewers at a B-. minus. I think just because they didn't spend money per se doesn't mean they didn't get better. They definitely didn't get worse. So they added William Contreras, which is the best thing you can do in a trade, and gave up next to nothing to get him. You also added Wade Miley for starting pitching depth. I think that was a great under-the-radar move that we're going to be thinking back in June. Like, man, how did the man? What, how did they remember to bring him back? I really like banking on a bounce-back year from Jesse Winker and Brian Anderson, but you have options ready to go in case they don't bounce back. You are ready to play the young guns. Then finally, I had Pittsburgh and Cincinnati as a C because I don't know what to make of them. They, they still stink. So they're, they made marginal efforts, but they're still going to lose 95 games this year. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I like that. I I think your Milwaukee rating is totally fair. I thought that was solid offseason. It was kind of quiet, but mm-hmm. they, they didn't really mess too much up. And I, it, the Contreras trade, I mean, that makes the hater trade look so much better now. Yeah, it, it especially when you think about the fact that, yes, they returned Esther Ruiz, and he ended up being really the only guy, along with Robert Gasser, that stuck in the organization from that trade. But then they flip Ruiz to get Contreras and to get two other arms, Yoel Piamps, uh, and also Justin Yeager. I mean, that's a pretty darn good trade looking now. Uh, and for me, the the Twitter response, because Twitter is Twitter, it's the worst, that everyone's, oh no, it's a C mine, it's an F, it's, oh my God, they didn't spend any money. It's like, guys, what team have you been watching the last 10 years? When have the Brewers spent money? You can't be surprised anymore. It's not that it's a bad thing or that they have to spend money every year, but they didn't get worse. I will, I will just say that till I'm blue in the face. They did not get worse this year. You can debate if they got better. That's fine. But they didn't get worse. They kept the core guys. They didn't trade. You know, yes, they traded Hunter Renfro was a fan favorite. I was fine with trading Cole Wong. I was fine with trading Hunter Renfro. I still think the Brewers are in a good spot now, just like they were last year. Personally. Come at me if you disagree. You can call in as well, 855-616-1620. Again, 855-616-1620. Old National Bank, get old. Uh, you can text in. What's your rating? Let's talk about, you can call in, text in your rating. I want to talk about the dollars and cents, talking about spending, and talking about a poll that I had on my Twitter as well. Don't go anywhere. We're still rolling here on Brews Weekly. She showed me a skin, asked me what I believe in. How about, that's an album cut there, Mr. Wirtz. 
like it. Fun, fun vibes here on a Wednesday night. Tommy Woods, our producer. I'm Dominic Catronio. So Twitter is a terrible cesspool of hate and short-brained comments and people who think they know it all. And I'm participating in it because it's the best. It's part of my job. Uh, but Twitter, like we talked about with the rating system and with you know the grades and everything like that, that people reacted to it. But I put out a poll, which I thought was really interesting. And the common sentiment when everyone had a negative grade about the Brewers was the fact that they didn't spend money. But I'm going to get into the money in a moment. But here's my simple question. I put two options. Would you rather play the young players like it seems like the Brewers are going to do at some point this season and next, or would you rather spend that money on free agents when you you have a feeling you know what you're going to get? But And also, I'm not saying spend money on free agents like you're going to get Justin Verlander, like you're going to get Carlos Correa, like you're going to get the bona fide superstars. I'm saying getting the realistic ones. I saw A.J. Pollock pop up a lot. I've seen Jerks and Profar pop up a lot. Trey Mancini was a target. Jose Brea was a target. But that was my question. Just Would you rather play the young guys or pay for free agents? I had 137 people vote on this on this poll on Twitter. 85% of respondents said play the young guns. Again, like I said in the last segment, if you think the Brewers should have been spending money or spending frivolously, like you're not watching the right team. You, you just This isn't new. This isn't breaking news. The Brewers are smart with their cash. But furthermore, let me bring... Let me show my work like I'm in algebra class here, all right? 2018, the opening day roster for the Brewers was 26th in baseball. 91 million. 26 million. Or 26, 91 million. By the end of the year for the 40-man salary, it was up to 121 million, which was 12th highest in baseball. 12th in 2018. They were one game away from the World Series. 2019, they take that, increase their opening day payroll by $30 million year over year. To 122. Big jump. Huge jump. They ended the year at $145 million, which was right in the middle of the pack. So take that for a second. They spent more money on their 40-man than they did the year prior, and yet fell down in the salary rankings. Do you see the game that the Brewers are having to play here? The rest of the arms race has just exploded. The Phillies, the Padres, the Mets, the Rangers now. Teams are spending money like crazy. And if you want to complain about Mark Adonacio, you've come to the wrong podcast. I'm sorry. I've explained that before. The Brewers are being smart with their cash. Do I think they could spend more? Yes. But they pick and choose their times. And I think this trade deadline could be a time they pick to add salary. So we skipped 2020. 2020 was weird. 2021, coming out of the pandemic, hit everybody hard, especially a small market team like the Brewers. Their opening day payroll falls to $99 million. And that's even with a brand new Christian Yelich deal now on the books. $99 million, that was 19th. By the end of the year, the 40-man payroll was $132 million, which was 18th. So still latter half of the middle of the pack. Last year, their opening day payroll set a record in Brewers franchise history. $132 million. And it was still only 19th in baseball. So... The Brewers' number is climbing every year that I'm talking about. It's going up, but yet the rank to the rest of the league is falling. It's wild how fast the money has come into baseball and how teams are just throwing money and hoping for the best. By the way, last year, their 40-man roster ended at $153 million. 
153 million. They're spending money. I I just want to crush that narrative sooner as opposed to later. This year it's a little lower, 115 million, giving them room potentially for extensions or signing guys at the deadline, things of that nature. There's room coming, and I think the Brewers are getting ready to make something happen. I've talked about the thought that they're going to play the young guns here soon. We're going to talk about prospects coming up a little bit later on in the show. But the Brewers clearly trust their player development system. They clearly trust their coaching staff. Because this is the first time in a long time, really ever, that the Brewers' top prospects are position players and not pitchers. Really, every top prospect is, is a position player. Jackson Trurio, Sal Freelich, Joey Weimer, Jefferson Caro, Tyler Black. And then you go to Jacob Mizorowski and Robert Gasser. So the Brewers are getting ready to add by subtracting salary, adding by getting a rookie that they believe in, they've seen in their own system, as opposed to bringing in a stranger trying to figure out what they may have. I'm for it. I think that it could work out that way. I think the Brewers have a very, very good system, a very strong system, and a good track record of being able to say, hey, these are the guys that we want, these are the guys that we like, we like molding them how we like it. And while they have this core of Burns, Woodruff, and Adamas for this season and 2024 season, they're going to give an opportunity to free lick at some point this year. They're going to give an opportunity, I imagine, to Joey Weimer next year and Jackson Trurio, depending on his performance this year next year. Robert Gasser could be in the rotation next year. Mizorowski could be accelerating fast. So the Brewers, they're in a good spot. I know folks get frustrated not seeing their team in the headlines and they get lazy. And there's another phenomenon that goes on when people say, oh, just sign this guy. He seems good when you look at his stat, you know, his fan graphs and look at his stat line on baseball reference. Lewis Riddick said this a long time ago on ESPN. It's always stuck with me. Lewis Riddick, NFL draft analyst, ESPN uh, football, but he said something. The when they're getting closer to the draft, and talking about how guys' stock rises and how he looked at his combine and his pro day and stuff, the further away we get from games actually having been played, the more our opinions are easily skewed. I promise you, if you watched Jerickson Profar in that series against the Padres last year, not a single one of you would want Jerickson Profar. I'm sorry. I, I think Jerickson's a nice guy, and he has a prospect pedigree and all that stuff, but this is the ex- example of your mind being warped to believing that you, oh, we want this guy because it's a shiny new thing. It's something new, something that we can point to and say, yes, he's the guy. But you don't know that. And you look at the numbers, there's ulterior stuff underneath it too, and the Brewers feel what they have internally is better than what's out there. And I look at this opening day outfield, it's probably going to be Christian Yelich in left field, Garrett Mitchell in center, Tyrone Taylor in right, and hopefully at some point Sal Freelick in right field or Sal Freelick in left field, however they work things around. They feel that what they have coming is better than what they could have got on the market, and it saves them a few dollars to spend elsewhere. That's my little soapbox rant. I hope you understand. Uh, I want to take a breather from all this. We're going to have a snippet of our segment with uh, Tyler Kepner of the New York Times. Again, you can hear that entire interview on YouTube, and on our podcast feed right now. Just search me on YouTube, Dom Brewers WTMJ. Uh, Also, just scroll up on your podcast feed if you're listening after the fact. Or if you go to Brewers Extra Innings on Apple Podcasts, you can find it there as well. Tyler Kepner, he's awesome. Uh, He does baseball extravaganza trivia every holiday season on New York Times. Uh, And then we're also got the two great books, and I mentioned them coming up 
in the next segment. And uh, we talk a little 1982 here coming up next. Don't go anywhere. We're getting rolling here. Uh, Brewers Weekly is about halfway through. Let's chat with Tyler Kepner of the New York Times. You can hear our entire conversation again on YouTube and also on our podcast feed. All right, Tyler, I've got both books here, Grandest Stage and K, A History of Baseball in 10 Pitches. I want to start with Grandest Stage, your newest work. Uh, Super fun read. I read it throughout the playoffs. And Brewers fans listening are obviously frustrated for obvious reasons that there's a very small portion of Brewers because they lost the only World Series they were featured in. But 1982, what did you learn about 82 with the Cardinals winning in seven and uh, some memories that jump right off the page from your research of 1982? You know, 82 is the first, it's a very special World Series to, to me because it was the first one I remember watching. Um, the first one I went to was the very next year because I'm from, uh, you know, I was, I'm a Philadelphia native and I got to go to the couple games in 83. Um, but I, you know, I was seven years old in 82 and that was the first one I really remember watching and being absolutely riveted um, by every game of that series. Um, you know, I, you all remember it. Well, I'm sure Milwaukee because it's 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 the only one. But um, you know that, that them winning that fourth game after the Willie McGee game in um, in Game Three, the afternoon game in Game Four. There's still something um, romantic to me about an afternoon game in the World Series because um, I went to one the, the the next the next year. But just you know, uh, an old time ballpark like like that uh, with those uniforms and those players, a lot of Hall of Famers in that series and and, and interesting contrast in uh it's a speed team versus a, a power team uh one team had its hall of fame closer the other team didn't um and that might have been the difference in the series but um the biggest thing I, I i dealt with about 82 in the book was um was in the unsung hero or the unlikely heroes chapter because the brewers took a 3-2 lead of course back to st louis um to try to clinch it with don sutton on the mound and uh facing john stuper who was a rookie and 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 didn't have a very long career as it turned out but stuper pitched a complete game through a bunch of rain delays and the cold and miserable night um they had a blowout win and uh and and, and sutton didn't have it and of course the brewers lost game seven and after game seven sutton um went over to the clubhouse the cardinal clubhouse just to shake uh John Stuper's hand and say they wouldn't have done this without you. So that meant a lot to him as a, as a rookie and um, something he always uh, carried with him through 30 years as the head coach at Yale. Um, he just retired from. So um, that was a nice memory from him. Um, you know, but I could go on and on about the 82 series. I, I feel like growing up as a Phillies fan, I always felt like the Phillies won that one series with Mike Schmidt and Steve Carlton, but by winning that one, they that really put a, a a crown over them forever, kind of like a halo. Like these are the guys who got it done. It wasn't twice. It wasn't three times. Yeah, they made it a bunch of times and, and fell short, but they won one. And one, the difference between zero and one is so much bigger than like one to two or two to three. Um, and I felt like the Brewers are one of those examples of teams that had um, all the ingredients to win, and they just couldn't quite get it done. And that always. You know, you're always just you always have that feeling that something something's missing. You know, like Seattle had that with Griffey and Edgar and Buner and A-Rod and all those guys and Randy Johnson. And they just couldn't they couldn't even get to a series. You know, Cleveland with Tommy and Manny and and uh, all those all those great players, Lofton and Bell and Vizquel and Nagy and Hershey. And they just couldn't quite do it. So 
I feel like um, it's so important to win that one because it validates everything um, forever about that group of players. It's funny. We just had the 40th celebration, uh, you know, locally, the lovable losers, if you will, uh, of the AL pennant winning team, 1982. Uh, obviously, Don has passed on. We had Darren Sutton actually in his place, and it was good to see him out here, uh, Don's son, you know, interacting with everybody from 82 and great memories. You mentioned Sutton. It's in the book, and I recommend Brewers fans to read it. It's a lot of fun, not just for the pain of 1982, but so much else, so much other, so many other details that you find. And where does the research begin for a project like this with world series being the center point. But then I kind of love that there is no agenda. It's just kind of based on chapters. All right, we got the lovable, you got the heroes, the manager decisions and so on and so forth. Where do you even start trying to figure out a, how to organize it and B who to talk to and figure out how to gather all of this? Yeah, I knew what I didn't want to do. I didn't want to do a chronology. I thought that would be, um, that would be more of like a research, um, that would be more like, I don't know, just a, it wouldn't be a, a, a narrative, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be the kind of thing that I, that I think I'm good at, which is telling stories and, and talking to people and, and, and finding themes and explaining and analyzing. Um, so I, I, I thought it was best to pick a, several themes as it turned out um, seven, I thought seven was good for seven games, seven chapters. Um, and that way I could incorporate the whole history of the series into each chapter like not necessarily obviously not mentioning every series in every chapter but the, the themes that i chose were sort of universal whether it's how to build a world series team or like you said managing um i have one about like the sidebar stories that you might have forgotten to, uh, to to go with the famous moments you know not not kirk gibson's homer per se but the the walk to mike davis that that set up that homer that kind of thing um so, you know, I, I, we had the, the unlikely heroes chapter, um, you know, we had a ha- chapter about dealing with pressure um, and had a chapter about what it's like to fail at the big moment. Um, and then the seventh chapter was was just a lot of fun lists and leftover stuff and 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 a lot of quirky little things that, you know, that, that people could just have fun with and debate. So um, I felt like that was the best way to do it. And uh, I would I tried to talk to. You know, obviously, as, as many people as I could, but but that's probably not quite the right way to say it because certain guys, I just I felt like they've told their story about the World Series so many times that um, I wanted to look a little bit beyond just like calling up Joe Carter and asking him for the five hundredth time, you know, about the the home run. Like, you know, I, I tried to find other guys maybe around the periphery who I knew would be um, you know good talkers and have good perspective and, and insights about it. So. Um, it, it seemed to work out pretty well. Um, you know, I, I, I'm pretty pleased with it. And, uh, and it was it was just great to be able to reconnect with, with, with so many people who were right there in the uh, in the fire. So if you want to hear that entire conversation again, it's on YouTube now, Dom Brewers WTMJ, or you can find it on the podcast feed Brewers Extra Innings on Apple Podcasts. I promise it's coming to Spotify, too. I actually got an up to update this week about the progress that we're trying to make on getting it on Spotify. Our producers are smiling and nodding their heads at me, so we're trying to get that done, I promise. Because I'm a Spotify guy. I want this to happen. So it should happen before opening day, though. That's for certain. Uh, but the again, the conversation can be found wherever you get your podcasts and also on YouTube. The books, again, The Grandest Stage, uh, The History of the World Series, and then also K. Uh, History of Baseball in 10 Pitches by Tyler Kepner. I'm going to talk a little bit about his trivia and some prospects. Stay with us. This is Brewers Weekly. 
Welcome back. Brewers Weekly on a Wednesday. As the Brew Crew has the number one starting pitcher in baseball, according to MLB Network. That's cool. They had a C-plus rating, according to The Athletic, for their offseason. The fans feel like they should be playing the young guns, which I think is going to happen. We just talked to Tyler Kepner here on the show as well, talking 1982. I want to cap it, though, with the trivia, just the tease of some of the trivia he does every year. It's been six straight years he's done this holiday trivia. Tommy, I want you to play as well. So uh, here's just the first five questions about award winners. And these are the type of questions you're going to find in this trivia. With 62 home runs in 2022, Aaron Judge, the American League winner of the Most Valuable Player Award, has 216 homers across his last six seasons. That goes back to 2017. Easily the most in Major League Baseball, but who's in second in its multiple choice? Nolan Arenado, Bryce Harper, Kyle Schwarber, or Eugenio Suarez? How many seasons? Six? Since 2017. I would say Schwarber is my first instinct. Eh. The correct answer is Nolan Arenado. Really? Yep. I guess Coors, yeah. Coors. helped him out. Yep, Coors. You have to do it. Uh, and then, he, by the way, Arenado has 188 home runs since 2017. Two more than Suarez, who had 186. Oh, so I picked the worst guy. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Uh, next, Paul Goldschmidt, NL's MVP, is a former eighth-round draft pick. Only two other MVPs in this millennium have been drafted lower. One is Albert Pujols. Can you name the other? Josh Donaldson, Ryan Howard, Jeff Kent, or Dustin Pedroia? Oh, gosh. Can I get the names real quick one more time? Josh Donaldson, Ryan Howard, Jeff Kent, Dustin Pedroia. Ryan Howard. Good guess, but no. Jeff Kent, 20th rounder. Originally by the Blue Jays out of Cal Berkeley. Yeah, okay, fine. Shout out. So you get the vibe. You get what these questions are like. They make you think for a second. And it's fun. There's like 40-something questions available. What is this for? This is from New York Times. This is what Tyler Kepner, our guest, who was just on here a second ago. That is fun, yeah. So uh, he's done it for six straight years. It's on New York Times. He usually drops it right around Christmas or New Year's when no one's really doing anything. So my dad and I, as soon as it drops, we sit and do it and just see who can get the higher score. So we, it's very, very fun. Uh, like, here's one. The Astros are the only expansion team with an overall winning record. Which two expansion teams have the next best overall winning percentage, both at 498? And then, you know, you think of expansion teams, try to figure out who it would be. The answer is... Can I give a guess? Sure. Florida Marlins, Colorado Rockies. No, yeah, that's too recent. You're, I'm thinking original expansion in the 60s. Oh, well, then, no, I have no guess. All right. The Angels and the Blue Jays. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So anyway, uh, so you can check that out on New York Times. Let's talk prospects here as we're winding down on the show. Just want to give a little table here of the three main ones, MLB.com, Baseball America, and The Athletic. The rankings are in. Still waiting on fan graphs. Baseball Perspectives is out too, I understand. But Jackson Trurio, top 10 across the board, consensus. Number three in The Athletic, number three in Baseball America, and number eight in MLB.com. Sal Freelich, his highest ranking, he's all over the board, but highest ranking is 30 by MLB.com. He's also graded as their highest hit tool. Baseball America has him at number 34. The Athletic has him at number 41. Joey Weimer missed out on Baseball America's top 100, but was listed in the top 150, just as receiving votes to get in the top 150. 
But number 90 on MLB and number 91 on The Athletic. I think that's fair. Interestingly enough, The Athletic included two other, two other names from the Brewers in its top 100 from Keith Law that the other two did not mention. And that is Jefferson Caro at number 43, the catching prospect, who will probably be bound for double-A this year. And Tyler Black, second-base prospect, who's got a great eye for the zone at number 96. Working on getting Keith Law on the show, probably not next week, but maybe the week following, talking about his rankings and getting closer to uh, spring training. I, I really love that he included those two guys on the top 100. And it's a reminder, again, all five of the guys I named, position players, you know, no Mizorowski, no Gasser. And even with a cup of coffee last year, Ethan Small, he's fallen off. He had a really rough second half last year. I mean, that's a name we haven't really talked about at all in the pitching picture. Ethan Small, they thought, all right, this is the guy, this is the guy. And then after June, you didn't hear anything about him. So Jason Alexander outpitched him. So this is going to be a low-key, very important year for Ethan Small heading into 2023. And as we talk about trades and things of that nature, I've seen folks try to dangle Eric Lauer, try to dangle Adrian Hauser, try to dangle what they have a surplus of in starters to maybe get some help on the offensive side. Let's let it play out. Both Hauser uh, and Lauer have two more years of team control. So they are there is some value there. And you've got Freddie and Ashby locked up for extended team-friendly extensions. So you've got Mizorowski coming. you got Gasser coming. If you feel confident in those guys. And you got Jansen Junk. And you got Adam Seminaris, who you acquired in trades. The Brewers have a lot of depth at the upper levels of starting pitching. And... Uh, they have a chance to continue the good times with homegrown pitching. Uh, the kid they got from the Mariners as well in the Justin Topet deal. That one kind of really fell under the radar. Joseph Hernandez, Dominican righty, kind of works on like a sidearm slot. I'm really excited about him. But that's a quick peek at the prospects. I don't. I think the only guy we're going to see this year for sure is Sal Freelich. I'd love to see Joey Weimer at some point this year. And the only way Jackson Churio is in the big leagues this year, because remember, he's only 19 is if he does some Juan Soto type stuff. Like he hits 350 everywhere he goes, proves that he belongs, and continues to rake. So I'd be shocked if that happens. It'd be cool, but it is what it is. Let's take our last break and wrap up the show next. Bring it. All right, just about out of time. Good night. Thank you so much for listening. I teased a birthday. Today is a very important birthday. Baseball Reference turns 23 years old today. The best website on the planet. I'm Dominic Catronio. News up next. Thanks for listening. Keep on swinging.